For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and we have a lot to cover today. Let's walk through the order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'll give some updates, including college, pro, and a splash of international softball. Then we'll head into the interview with Rhiannon Potkey, a longtime softball journalist and nonprofit founder from my neck of the woods. And we'll finish up with the double play tip of the week. All right, let's jump in. So covering our bases. First, I mean, it's another week missing sports in this weird time. But while you're waiting this out at home, you can actually still have a little bit of fun betting with our partner, betonline.ag. There's no NBA or MLB, although shout out to Korean baseball. I've officially chosen the SK Wyverns as my team, by the way. But BetOnline still has hundreds of games and events that you can wager on. NASCAR's back. There's Madden and NBA 2K simulations. And if anybody's been watching Coach Doug's on the NCAA football video game, and I know you have because over 60,000 people tuned in, you know how entertaining that can be. There's also a 10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, UFC. There's an online casino with poker and blackjack. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper joining to discuss the Michael Jordan doc, and they're calling it the final dance. See what they did there? There's still a lot of fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. That's BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Now for softball, some updates in the college world that I have today. It would have been Super Regionals this weekend. And it might honestly be my favorite weekend of postseason. It feels like a championship series in a way. And it's all about that drive to get to the World Series. I mean, when we used to bring it up as a team when I was in college, we'd say OKC at the end of practices and workouts. And this is the weekend that determines if you're going to meet that goal. And it's a series before going back into the tournament format with the World Series too, which is kind of interesting. And we won't get it this year, unfortunately, but what we will get is three USA players returning to college softball next year. USA head coach Ken Erickson okayed it. So Rachel Garcia and Bubba Nichols from UCLA and Deja Molipola from Arizona will play in the 2021 season and still compete in the Tokyo Olympics that summer. So this means that Garcia and Nichols will be back to defend the national title with their teammates after all. And they were already ranked number one for much of 2020 without them. So that's going to be interesting. Kendrea is also really excited about Deja being back with Jesse Harper and Alyssa Palomino Cardoza. And on top of a big freshman class they have coming in, they've also been in the top five in the nation, let alone one of the top teams in the Pac-12 in 2019 and 2020. So my take on this is that I think it's actually good for them as student athletes academically to not have to take two years off of school because that can be tough. And then even mentally and emotionally, I think it's good to have a balance, to have school and softball together 
is like having two jobs, but you get to switch gears. So if you have like a hard midterm or something, then you get to go to practice later and throw things and hit things to get the frustration out. So it's just kind of nice to be able to balance both and not get too sucked into one or the other. One thing I will say is that I think the gap of talent at the top of collegiate softball and the rest of the pack will probably be even bigger, especially since a lot of schools can't afford to bring their 2020 seniors back next year, let alone put future Olympians back in the lineup. I mean, it's not just their athletic ability, but it's also everything they've learned and can use as leaders from their experience with USA too. So lots more to come from those programs. And if we're looking at the immediate for this summer, the MPF has officially canceled the 2020 season. This would have been the 17th season for the league. And the reason is purely because it's another victim of the COVID-19 pandemic, unfortunately. And there's obviously concerns with testing and venues, travel, and even being able to practice because you want to make sure you can train also properly. The Aussie Peppers and Canadian Wild had already pulled out because of international travel obstacles at this point anyway. But they are starting their 2021 planning now as a league. So with having Team Australia, Canada, and then even Mexico under the Cleveland Comets competing in the MPF, this is a key part of Olympics prep for those qualified teams. So I'm glad to hear that they're already looking into that. And the decision is pretty clear cut. I mean, honestly, I've been waiting for them to make it official. I will say, though, that 2021 is shaping up to be a hell of a year. So for the love of God, please no more waves of this thing. The last update I have today is actually more personal. So my family cat, Cleats, passed away this week. He was 18 years old, had a really long life. And he's been in my life since I was 11 in sixth grade. And when I joined my first travel ball team, actually, in the last episode, I was talking to Brittany Cervantes, one of my old teammates back in the day, and I've literally had cleats in my life since then. And his name is Cleats because he was black with white paws, and I didn't want to be basic and just name him socks like everybody else probably would have. And it turned out, actually, that any time I got back from the field that he was pretty obsessed with my cleats and my shoes anyway, he would always cuddle with them. It was just his thing. But Cleats was funny. He had an attitude. He got pretty fat, to be honest. He's really everything you'd hope for in a cat. He probably should have been a meme. I remember one year there was Christmas ornaments on the bottom of our tree. And Cleats kind of looked at it and was just tapping one of them lightly. And then all of a sudden he just pulled back and smacked it. And it was like a line drive flew straight into the wall and it just shattered everywhere. And I was cracking up. So were my parents. It was honestly like pretty impressive. It was almost this load and explode. He got on plane. It was kind of textbook mechanics, really. I think he would have been a good hitter. And over the years, he slowed down, but he was always there. I think anyone who's ever had a pet that was a member of their family for a long time knows what I mean. After every tournament, practice, whether I hit a home run or struck out, didn't matter. He was always there. So I want to dedicate this episode in memory of Cleats Becerra, 2002 to 2020. It was a great life, and I'm grateful for it. And he was born and raised in Ventura County in SoCal, and so was today's guest. So now let's head into the interview. She is a longtime sports journalist, covered a lot of sports, including a lot of softball, with D1 Softball, the Knoxville News Sentinel, Salt Lake Tribune, and the Ventura County Star, which she actually wrote an article on yours truly, what feels like 
probably a million years ago, but it's Rhiannon Potkey. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great. I love what you're doing. So I appreciate you including me in it. Well, I love what you're doing. And do you, do you actually remember the article? You can be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. I remember because I used to do what I track what all our local kids were doing in college. So I would like check your stats like every week. It's once you went on to Stanford and um, I always checked in on what you were doing. So I remember writing that and uh, I was, uh, I was excited to do it. That's one of my favorite things. It's just kind of seeing kids, like seeing the players go from high school and then excel and do great things like you're doing now. So yeah, I totally remember that article. Thanks. I appreciate it. Even if you, you were just selling me right now, you did a good job of it. So <laughs> I appreciate it. I promise I wasn't, but Hey, good. If I, yeah, yeah, I wasn't. I remember, I love, like I said, I, I just, I really enjoy, you know, connecting with athletes, especially I, I really have a heart for local journalism too. Like, you know, the County kids. So Ventura County, baby, anytime I can represent 805, I'm all about it. Yes, the 805 love. Man, everyone that knew me in college knew that I always represented the 805. You know, do you have that as well? I mean, I know you're in Knoxville now. You've been a lot of other places too. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up there. I, I, uh, you know, which being a female athlete growing up in SoCal was probably the best you could ever be. I'm 40 now. I just turned 40. Um, So, but being able to grow up in that rich area that, that really like allowed female athletes to be competitive and stuff. And, and then right out of college, being able to cover those same athletes. And even if I went on to other places, like I still follow everything that goes on. I was a Ventura high graduate and, you know, played on a lot of like travel teams back in, you know, Ventura and Goleta area and stuff. So I still have tons of friends there and, and, you know, not my family moved now, uh, to be honest, you know, little cheaper areas of the country to live in because uh, 805 is quite expensive. But I visit frequently and I love, like, I mean, I'm in touch with my friends there all the time and I still still try to keep up on what everyone's doing. So yeah, I'll never leave that. I'm never changing my cell phone number because of that too. Yes, same. Same one since I was, what, 13, I guess, when I first got my cell phone. Yeah, I know when you texted me, I'm like, yeah, 805 number, here we go. <laughs> exactly. Do you have like a favorite food or something that you always have to get? whenever you're back but when I was a I was supposed to go to college and play basketball in college and I came down with what's called fibromyalgia so diet is really key so like basically the only everything that you think is like good food is wiped out of the like equation so it's all just like I mean I, I can eat a lot but it's all just really healthy stuff so like the Mexican food that I would really say like Corrales or something like that would be my go-to like I I miss it but like I haven't been able to eat it for 23 years even when I lived there so but that would, if I could like have an ultimate cheat day where God said like your body won't just rebel in tremendous pain, I would probably go to Corrales and get, you know, some sort of, you know, burrito or chicken, you know, or even like seafood tacos or something. Cause I was a Mexican foodaholic when I could eat that stuff. And now, you know, I can't. So, but yeah, yeah that would be my go-to anything Mexican back there. Good stuff. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but I have to agree with your answer of what you would choose. I mean, Mexican food is, I'm on the East Coast now, and I miss California Mexican food. I used to love going to Snapper Jack's, you know, more of that kind of like Baja, beachy, like fish taco. That and like an 805 beer, that's usually the go-to whenever I'm home. <laughs> Snapper Jack's is good, man. I, I, I ate there a few times. When I was covering Camarillo High Games, see, there's Snapper Jack's right there. I used to like like, oh, I'll go uh, write my story while I'm just getting a, getting dinner here, you know? Softball games end a little early. I can go do that before deadline. So, yeah, partook in that quite often. Amazing. Love it. And you played basketball in high school and tennis. I think you were a four-sport athlete, right? 
Yeah, I played uh, tennis, basketball, softball, and soccer. I quit tennis the earliest. I quit at about 14. So all through high school, though, the other three I played. I played uh, club soccer and travel softball during high school. So because soccer and basketball are the same season in high school, so you had to pick one. But I played high school basketball and uh, was recruited for all three for different levels of college. Uh, but yeah, basketball in high school and then the other two, I, I just, I loved it. I mean, I'm so anti-specialization. I can't even, I mean, I get like a visceral anger when I, unless like you literally just don't want to play other sports, that's cool. But when you're forced to like choose, it drives me up the wall. So I'm very on the multi-sport bandwagon. I don't care if people say you can't do it or you're not, you can do it. You can, it's, it's possible and it's still possible. So I loved it. I mean, it was best memories of my life. I think that's fair. I mean, even with performance issues like health, you know, if you're too specialized too early, there's, I think some science out there that that's not actually very good for your body, but also I think kind of what you're getting at is the mental part of it too. Like let's allow ourselves to explore different interests while we can, you know? Yeah, no, I've written tons of articles about just overuse injuries because of one sport repetition, you know, whether it be Tommy John surgery, whether tennis elbow, whether, you know, ACL injuries and some of the speculation is just overuse of the same muscles and stuff. And so it, it's a, it's mentally and physically taxing. And even if you're not doing multiple sports, you still need time off. Like, so that's the thing is like everyone. And I always love when parents are like, but she wants to keep doing it. She begs me to practice. I'm like, Someone needs to be the adult and say, you need for your own health to take a break, you know, but the adults somehow rationalize it like it's their own kids that are just begging every day to be out there for a hundred hours. And the way you can get around it is if they just hop from sport to sport and take a little break and then it's naturally built in, you know? So, um, but I know I'm just, I, I could die on this hill all day, but uh, <laughs> I think it, it's not easing, but I think people are realizing that it, there's, there's a lot of negatives, but I think people are starting to see mentally, physically, so I'm hoping, you know, we'll get the numbers creeped up to multiple, but who knows? Everyone's so obsessed with like getting their kid a scholarship, which is so stupid. I mean, if you invest all the money you would spend playing travel, you would be able to get a full ride scholarship just through that money you spent. It's not about that. It's about making memories and about having a good, healthy lifestyle. So it's just funny. You know, it's funny how that works. Yeah, no, I appreciate this though because it's a, it's about getting back to the essence of why we love to play. And I love that you played so many different sports. And I did see you said you were recruited a little bit to college, but I saw you were all county in basketball, just getting buckets. So I love that. <laughs> I, well, I was a point guard. I was giving out the assist, baby. I was a point guard, center fielder, you know, defensive back. You know, I just I was all about helping others. Like that's still kind of my personality. That's one reason I really quit tennis because it was just too singular for me. Like, I hate myself sometimes, but I love other people. So I'm always like, maybe I'll help everyone else, you know? With basketball and stuff, I could be like, well, I can at least pass or play defense or help my team. So, yeah, I was, uh, I was all about the assist making. That was my epic play. I loved it. I mean, I feel like now you're really kind of still giving assists, I guess, in terms of, like, helping people tell their stories. But you're actually the one helping craft what that is and share it with the world. But obviously you have a background in a lot of different things. And you played a little bit of softball as well. But what about it has kept you kind of in the game? Like, what's unique about softball that pulls you in? Oh, man, just everything. I started out in Little League Baseball because, they, you know, we didn't really have softball. And I was the only girl in my little league. You know, I was, they called me Mikey. And I had, like, a bowl cut. And I think I thought I was a boy until I was, like, seven or eight years old. And, like, because I was, like, all I did was I was a total tomboy. 
hung out like all my best buddies in the block were all boys and stuff. Um, so, but once I started, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to play softball. Like I love, and then I started softball. I'm like, God, I should have started this way earlier. This is the best. And uh, there's just something special about it. Like it's quicker. It's fun. Like you just, you know, the road trips and the games and it was just, it's intense. It's quick. It's fast paced. Um, and I just never lost that love. Like I just, I, I love the stories, the players. I love just, you know, the teamwork involved. And, um, you know, I just, I, I caught the bug and I, I played travel when there was like, there was only like four travel teams in Southern California when I played that's, you know, and now there's like 400. Yeah. So, uh, and we were like the only one, we were the Galena waves. And so Jess Mendoza, that's how I got to know her. she was on my team for a while. Um, and then we played against each other in high school because she was a multi-sport athlete too. So we played against Camry, Ohio all the time. Um, and I just, I never lost my love for it. Like I said, I played throughout high school, even though I knew I probably wasn't going to play in college because I was going to play basketball before I got sick. Um, but uh, I would have still played it. I literally would still play to this day if you told me I could. So, I mean, covering it is obviously the next best thing. So that's what I did instead. And there's just something, I mean, it, you know, it's hard. It's like almost indescribable, but I think it's just like the energy that I feel when I'm in a field and when I'm watching a game and just the people that play it, they don't take themselves too seriously, but they're very serious athletes, you know? So that it's just a great spirit behind the sport. Any way I can still convey those stories and try to get other people to, to be just as passionate is like, makes me happy because I love doing that. I mean, it's just, uh, it's grown so much and it's so cool to see and uh, I love it. I just hope it, you know, more people can get on board because uh, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a really fun sport and that's probably what attracted me the most. I was serious about it, but I always had fun, you know, and that was, that was great. It's always challenging in some way too. Well, and you're good at covering it. So when you kind of take a step back and look at the way that softball is covered overall as a sport, what do you think? I think it can do better because I don't think there's enough. I mean, you know, there's, there's places that do it really well and cover it really well. And ESPN has been great in terms of elevating the sport, you know, through both, you know, televised and then, you know, the writing with Graham Hayes, particularly doing a good job, but, and a lot of like college towns do it. And there's a lot of good prep coverage, to be honest, but it's just not at the level that I would love to see it on a national level yet. You know, there's not enough and it's not for lack of trying. It's just, you know, this industry is just, uh, there's a lot. I mean, we could go on for seven hours about just some of the reasons why. And it's not always intentional. Sometimes it's just literally straight business. Like, you know, you can't, you need to make money. You need to make a profit. I think once, you know, when the World Series comes around, it all of a sudden gets a whole bunch of interest and then it just fades. And like, you know, the pro leagues don't get any coverage. I mean, let's face it, you can say all you want. They don't. Olympics gets tons. And then it's like, you know, that's nothing after that. So, you know, the more, the better. Um, even the warts, like, I mean, I don't want just every story to be all like roses because it's not. I mean, if you want to treat it like a regular sport, you got to talk about the hard issues, the bad, you know, not everyone's doing great stuff, you know, to be treated seriously, those have to be covered as well. And you don't see much of that, you know, you see a few here and there. And, and sometimes those are the ones that take the headlines, all the scandals. I just would like to see more, more and more balanced coverage, you know, and um, we're trying a D1 softball, but you know, it takes people to invest in the sport. I mean, a lot of people talk about investing in women and that means coverage too. So if you want to be around, subscribe. Now, I'm not just saying this selfishly, but subscribe to people that cover it well because there, it's not going to be any coverage unless people do that. I mean, and, and these girls deserve their stories to be told and this game deserves to be, you know, disseminated throughout the country. And, 
you can't rely on just school sites to do it. You got to have some, you know, like independent journalists, papers, whatever's going to be around in the future. Um, and it, you know, that's how you elevate a sport. It's not just about, you got to pay the players, obviously, but it's also getting their stories out there and, and, you know, and building a fan base and that journalism helps that. I mean, stories, people want to know about these players more than just stats. So, um, that's what we're trying to do at D1softball.com and to achieve that, but we need people to help too, in terms of investing in that and, and really wanting that access to those stories. I think that's a completely fair call out for the softball community or just the women's sports community, sports community overall. It's like, we talk about that in terms of TV, like, well, if you want to see more on TV, you have to watch, you need the viewership. Well, the same thing applies to the written word covering these stories as well. Like, let's get the readership, subscribe, put your money where your mouth is, I guess. And it's not even like it's this really hard thing to do. It's just for some reason, there's a little bit of a disconnect at times. And I mean, I know I could be better and I'm, I'm very involved, obviously, in the softball world and I can even do more. So let alone kind of these other fans that are starting to emerge. Yeah. And, it, and this is a hard time to be asking, you know, obviously we know, I mean, everyone's feeling the economic, I understand where some people can't, but if you do have, or if you do really love the sport, um, you know, it's, it's a worthy to investment to make sure that, you know, it's publicized and that the stories get out there. And, and a lot of people are so used to, they were so used to getting it for free, like online for so long, but you know, do you go into like, a restaurant and get a free meal. Like I'm trying to tell people like, I can't write if I don't like I did over my career, I've done so many free articles for women's sports because I really felt compelled to get it out there. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm in a stage where I really can't do that as much anymore. I have to pay my bills. I have to like, and I mean, we, you don't make much as it is. So it's just, it's funny how people want everything for free and, we're not asking to like be millionaires. I'm just asking to be able to like pay my rent, you know, sort of thing or pay my mortgage. And I don't think people do it. Like they just, they don't know. So stuff like this educates, like, you know, we, the reason we can do these stories is if, you know, we're, we're paid to do them. And so it won't be for free. And it's not because we're trying to like take advantage of people. We're just trying to like sustain, you know? So, uh, and, and I think our industry needs to do a better job of getting that word out. Like you don't go into stores and get stuff for free. I mean, there's, there's a reason you're paying, you're paying the workers behind it. So, and I think journalism kind of that message kind of gets lost sometimes, but yeah, we, I would love it if we could have more sites like that, you know, and, and we've seen some come and go over the years. And a lot of the ones that stay are ones that are pretty much a labor of love, you know, they're not really making a profit or anything. So um, and so I, I would just love to see that sport. And like you said, all women's sports, cause I don't just cover softball. I cover, I mean, I cover every sport, but men's and women's, but the women's has always been somewhat hard because of that reason. The editors and stuff need to see a reason to keep investing, like in sending reporters out. They need to see the page views. They need to see people, you know, wanting to read it or else they're just gonna say, Hey, it's not worth it. Let's just go cover football because football gets clicks. Yep. So, and that's just the reality. I mean, it's a business. It's not like a nonprofit, you know I mean? I thought when I first got into it, I thought, I thought people thought like, it's like the state is what like, you know, keeps you, a, it's, it's a business. There has to be a bottom line for some of the companies that are running these things and they just want to stay afloat. So uh, hopefully people can realize that and it, it would be great to have that. Cause I think, like I said, the athletes, the coaches, the programs and the fans, they all deserve that. Like, you know, they invest in the sport and they, and they deserve to read good coverage of it. They do. And I think it's interesting. My dad actually calls it kind of what you touched on, a fast food society, meaning, yeah, people say they would love to see more content about women's sports and softball and 
even the pro league, like you mentioned, but we're not actually following through, even helping give the resources or like you said, the clicks, et cetera, that would actually make that happen. And there's, there's a big process from start to finish in terms of developing a story, just one story, let alone everything else that you're looking into. So what is your process from finding the story to writing it and then sharing it with the world? Oh, wow. Uh, it, it, it's varied. I mean, I, I'm a nut. Like I, I read like four or five hours a day. Sometimes I go, I read other stories. I'm a, I'm a news junkie. Like I love it. And I love all sports. So like that consumes a lot of my, I'm like always looking and trying to find like, you know, stories that maybe some, I, I try not to do ones that other people have told obviously, but just looking to see if I can see in something like, oh, that sounds like that could be further developed. Um, I'm reaching out to SIDs. I'm reaching out to coaches. I'm going to games and talking to people and making notes for future stuff. And uh, it's just, it's a process. I mean, it's just really, it's just about relationships, connecting, researching. I really try to look for those stories that, that aren't just the like game stories to me are interesting, but they're not. The story is usually within the story. Um, yeah. Just try to look like what the trends are, what's interesting, what interests me, because that's why I got into this. Like, and what I think people would, would find interesting. Um, I'm more like, I love writing features. I love writing issue stories. Those to me are more, I mean, a lot of people love breaking news and I'm all for that, but that's great. And that, that comes with developing relationships. But the process really is just a lot of research, a lot of talking to people, a lot of time spent on the phone, time spent in person, trying to make sure the story is, you know, perfect or what you know, it never is. My biggest, uh, I always say I'm still trying to write the perfect story like 24 years later, basically, and it's never going to happen. So it's a lot of, like I said, just having an eye for what might be something that people care about, um, jumping on trends, what's happening around the country. Um, Now with social media, you can, you know, maybe get an idea on social media and then just flesh it out more into a story. It really varies. I mean, that for me is the fun part. I'm a very curious person. So it's a challenge trying to like connect all the dots sometimes. Um, so it's a long process, believe me. It's, it's, it's way longer than some people I think think, you know, they're just like, Oh, you go to the game, you're done. I'm like, no, well, that's just starting for us. Like once the game's over, then we just start, which is, you know, time consuming. Um, everyone's different in how they go about it. It's long hours to be honest. I mean, it's really, it's, it's pretty much life consuming if you're a sports journalist, especially nowadays in the 24 seven culture. With all the different forums and channels too for these stories it's just never ending I mean I so you mentioned a lot of people will end up writing things just for free I I actually even did that last year writing on medium I wrote a couple articles about Stanford softball and the turnaround of the program and in the recent last couple of years and then about the Pac-12 about the women's college world series and it was just to get content out there but it took a while like you know I'm at home like staying up kind of late at night and I'm like wow this is this is purely a labor of love like like you called it And this is taking longer than I thought because there's a lot of research, like you said, but there's the story aspect to it too and the deeper part of it. And that's what I've always liked about your style. Even when you did write the article back in my senior year of college, you know, it was about, yes, like this, my stats happened to be good that year, but it was the why, you know, like what, what had happened in my life or my mentality that kind of like made that a breakout year for me. And it felt like a deeper conversation. And those are the stories that I like to read too. So I kind of get what you're saying where it's like, well, I like to read this kind of thing. So that's what I like to write. You know, that's to me, what seems like a good story. Do you feel like there's such thing as a bad story though? That's interesting. 
Um, no, I mean, it, well, a bad story would be one that's factually incorrect or just go on hearsay or is completely slanderous and has no basis to it. Or, you know, I'm really, really all about credibility. There's a lot of people now that are just about clicks. And that's the one thing I always tell journalism students is like, don't sacrifice your name for a headline. You know, make sure that what, you know, make sure your reporting is credible. Make sure it's fully researched. A lot of people on social media now, I mean, I still consider social media with my name attached. I still consider that like something that I don't just run with stuff and tweet stuff like that doesn't have like, that's just a guess, but it's a changing dynamic. So a bad story to me would be one that really is either, you know, just completely wrong or slanderous or, but there, I don't think there's a bad story in the sense that even if it's something bad about, it turns out like something whether it be, I mean, to be honest, like cheating or, you know, recruiting violations or a player getting in trouble or drinking too much or whatever, that's a bad story for them. It's not a bad story. It's just, you know, so as long as it's factual. So I guess my definition might be a little different. I've written a lot of bad stories, what I feel like just stink, because even if I try my hardest, I just wasn't feeling it that day. Um, but that's my own internal bad story. Like it just didn't like, it just it was like, oh God, don't let me read this because it, <laughs> But you got, you're on deadline and you got to turn in the story, right? So they don't all sing like I want them to. But uh, for me, like what, like a bad story would be either personally one that just, I just didn't feel good about, like not because I intentionally wrote it bad, just because you just like, sometimes you just don't have it. I mean, just like athletics, like you go to your 0 for 4 one day and you feel like you just want to rebuild your whole swing, like in that day. So the good thing is you wake up the next day and it's a new day and you get a new story, right? And you can try again. So, uh, but bad in the sense of maybe like bad for the industry. And there's a lot more of those sadly these days because there's so many new platforms that people don't distinguish between credible journalism and just journal. Like they think everything's journalism and it's not. And there's a lot of people that like have like platforms to just write stuff and it goes viral and there's no fact checking. And that's sad and it puts a stain on our profession and I don't like it. You know, it's like, you know, I just... I think our profession gets a bad name because we think some things are journalistic that aren't really journalistic. They're just people that wrote words. So that to me is bad because that hurts the person that hurts the team that hurts the industry. Um, so yeah, that would be my definition of like bad, bad is when it's just completely not credible and, you know, is basically built on just either trying to get attention or trying to get clicks or, or not really fact checking or, or doing any real journalistic work. Right. It's not just what you did. It's how you're doing it. Yeah. Do you feel like your style, if you had to describe it in three words, how would you describe your style of writing? Oh, wow. That is deep. <laughs> I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I would think I would hope like thorough. I would hope interesting and um, insightful, maybe. I mean, there's so many words I could use. But that would probably be my, you know, credible is obviously one that's not really like my stories. But yeah, I think just interesting, insightful and, you know, just I hope people enjoy them, too. I I don't know. I mean, I really take it seriously. I mean, it's it is a passion, you know, and otherwise I wouldn't be doing it because believe me, it's not like a lucrative passion. So you if you're in it this long, you're doing it because you really love it. You know, there's something about it. So no matter what, and I'm not immune to covering like I loved covering. I covered Little League World Series. I've covered high school. I'll go back and cover high school today. I've covered professional teams. I've covered, you know, SEC football. Um, but no matter what level I cover, I always treat that story like that's that person's, you know, biggest game, World Series, whatever, you know, 
and someone is reading it that really that could be the only story they get written about them. So I treat, I feel like an obligation to make sure that that story gets the same attention as if I covered a Super Bowl. Because even if it's, like I said, a Tri-Valley League game in the middle of a season, you know, if that, that family could savor that article forever, you don't know. So I, it never, I mean, my stories are always, I don't think are written as well as they should be and reflect that, but that's the intention I go in. I don't just treat a story like, oh, whatever, just get this done. Um, and that, you know, it can be good and bad because sometimes that's mentally taxing, you know, you're trying to be, but I, 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 it eats me up if I misspell a kid's name, that's like a junior varsity player, you know, just as much as it would if I misspelled some famous, which I hope it would misspell a famous person, but you know what I mean? It just, it eats at me the same amount because I know that that kid and that family, that might be something that they want to savor forever. So I've always thought about that when I cover things, it's just treat every event like it's the world series, you know, treat every game. Like it's the most important game of those players' lives and treat every feature like that might be, you know, that's going to hang on the wall. And uh, like I said, it, it puts a little burden on you in terms of like stress, but I think it also makes it, makes it sure that you've checked every box to try to make it the best it can be. And you're going to make mistakes because it happens and you, those eat at you. But um, if you do it that way, at least you can be sure that, you know, it, it, it has a chance to be a better story. Well, I appreciate that. As somebody whose last name and Becerra is almost never spelled correctly, I appreciate somebody that pays attention to the details. <laughs> hey, well, Rhiannon's not an easy one, believe me. It's uh, it's not. I, I don't. I never expected anyone to spell that right in the paper. It was spelled wrong a lot of times. But whatever. I was like, okay, you know, I knew who it was. But yeah, I do. I, I always laugh. Like I, I used to cover where like the, the coaches didn't know how to spell their own players' names, so it would be wrong for like an entire season, and then the parents would be like can you spell her name right? And I'm like, what? I'm like, it's on the roster. They're like, yeah, it's been wrong. I'm like, oh, you should have told us like after the first game, like it's like 20 games later, you know? And I feel bad, but they're just, you know, too nice to ask. And I'm like, no, your coach has it wrong. I ask now, especially now with all, I mean, people spell their kids' names every which way. Like, I didn't think you could spell like John, like 19 different ways, but apparently we've just, you know, there's a silent S somewhere in John now, like for some families, so. Honestly, it's so funny you bring that up because a couple episodes ago, we actually talked about this like semi-in-depth. I never realized until my boyfriend who was on the show a couple episodes back, he was working for the XFL, as I mentioned, and he actually modeled some things about the XFL from softball, which was pretty cool. So we were talking about that, but he had pointed out to me, he was like, I didn't know there were four different ways to spell Kaylee until I saw a softball lineup (laughs) and everyone's spelling it differently somehow. And I was like, wow, I did not ever think about that until he pointed it out. But over the years going back and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. I used to always know like what the, you know, if you corresponded to their birth year, like what the most popular names were for girls by like looking at like lineups of either soccer or softball. I'm like, Oh, that must've been a year where like, you know, Madison was very popular that year or like, (laughs) And then just like, and look at, there's like seven different ways, like one with a Y, one with an I, one with an O-N, E-N, A-N. And I'm just like, hey, you know, so it was funny. I'd always be like, okay, that must have been like the birth year where everyone was on. And like maybe there was a TV show that corresponded with it or something, you know. And so, yeah, it's the fun things you do when you're just like looking at so many lineups over your career, you know. I know. The, the random knowledge that you pick up. Like, who, who would have thought? Useless knowledge, basically. But it's, you know, it keeps it interesting, though. So. 
Well, what are some of your favorite softball stories that you've covered other than mine? I'll give you a pass. Yeah, that's my favorite one. That's probably at the very top. Um, (laughs) Obviously. Huh, that's a good one. Let me see. Good. There's so many that I've enjoyed. Um, I I mean, I covered some really good players like in in high school, like Amanda Lorenz was one that I covered throughout high school. Um, I got to see some pretty dominant, being in Southern California, I think probably the quirkiest thing, um, gosh, there was a game, I think a CIF final where I think it was, I want to say it was a, it was a CIF final Royal and Valencia and Valencia started, they had two pitchers and they decided to start a senior cause it was her final game. And so they threw her the first inning Royal gets one run and they switched the pitcher and the other girl threw a no hitter, but they lost one zero. And that was just the quirkiest because like she should have started the fresh. Everyone knew she should have started the freshman. I feel bad the senior, obviously, but so it was just like, man, you just, you know, I think that jumps out because it was just so like, oh gosh. And I once cut, I think it was, I think it was Rachel Garcia. Yeah. It was a perfect game in a sense because they did international tie break and the catcher overthrew third base. So the other team won because of an error, but she didn't give up a hit or a base run or anything. And so she lost. That was our senior season, and she ended up tearing her ACL in the CI finals. So just random ones like that. And then there's been tons of college. I mean, like, I could go on and on with the college ones, but uh, I just think those little quirky ones. I've seen some pretty awesome performances, like, in high school games by girls that are just, you know, because, you know, you came from our area, Southern California. You were covering the best of the best, like, every time. And it was, you know, I look back at some of the names I covered, and I'm like, oh, whoa, I forgot that, like, I covered that girl in high school, you know? Um, so those jump to mind. I mean, if you, I, I could probably, like I said, college, there's so many super regionals and regionals and just some of the really great games. Now that I'm at, I'm in, I live in Tennessee now and covering SEC, you know, I've had some pretty cool SEC moments uh, traveling around covering some of those games. So I, I didn't cover it. I wish I would have with that epic, you know, the Oklahoma, Florida game a few years ago. Uh, that was pretty epic. I, I didn't get to cover that one. I wish I had, I stayed up. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of features and I, I'd have to go back, but there's just so many cool stories of kids that go through softball and players that, you know, that beyond just softball, they have something to them that's, you know, deeper than softball that I really enjoy. Absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of big names already. You mentioned Amanda Lorenz. You mentioned you played with Jess Mendoza, who, of course, I have to give an 805 shout out. But not only that, the Stanford shout out have to always do it. But they're actually on the board of your nonprofit. Goods for Greatness. And you started that a couple of years ago. I read about it actually in a Ventura County Star article, but I want to hear from you. What's the mission and and how was it born? Yeah, well, um, yeah, it's called Goods for Greatness. Um, It's basically the mission is to provide low-income children with sports equipment. Uh, I I saw a need for it in high school, even before, when I was a a younger kid, I had teammates from, you know, really rich teammates and then really, really poor teammates on the same team. And we used to drive the, the really poor teammates home to this place called the camp. And it wasn't a very nice place. There was a lot of gangbangers. I mean, it was, you know, trailer homes basically. And um, those kids would have nothing like they. And then my other teammates would be going through like bats and balls and stuff. And every week they'd come with something new. I'm like, geez, like, didn't you just get new cleats like last week, you know? And the other teammates would just become with, you know, hand-me-downs from their brothers or sisters. So that kind of went it first initiated in my mind like there's a need where we can give your old stuff to these kids and it would be brand new to them because they I mean it's good condition 
So I kind of, I, I put that on hold and I always wanted to do it. And then I had to work and make a living and, you know, life gets in the way and starting a nonprofit's not an easy process. It requires a lot of like paperwork. And so finally I got to the point in my career about two years ago where I was covering uh, University of Tennessee football for the local newspaper here. And I, I just reached the point where I said, you know what, there's something, there's a void in my life in terms of I'm, I need to help people more than I am. And I just don't have time to do it because covering an SEC football team, you don't have time to do anything. You're on like 24 seven. So I decided, okay, if I'm ever going to do it, I'm going to do it now. Like I'm going to, I'm 38 at that time. I, I got to do it. So I started it. I did, I, I worked with a local, like the law school here. They helped me with all the paperwork and we got it up and running. And uh, so we've helped about a thousand kids in two years now. And, it, and it's basically just me. I mean, I have board and they're great, but like, they're so busy with their lives. It's mainly just sounding boards and stuff. And, and they're awesome. They're always willing to help like in any way they can, but it's kind of a one woman show right now, just because I just feel like I don't want to ask them to do certain things. Their name is awesome. Like that helps with everything. So essentially what I do is I get people to either donate money so I can buy kids equipment or I have um, people donate equipment that used equipment and division one colleges have been huge, uh, especially where I am locally to Southeast. It's been great. Um, Cause there's, they can't donate equipment to kids that are recruitable age. So most of the stuff they have is not going to fit little kids. Right? So if they give it to my goods for greatness, we can disseminate it to their area and those kids in high school and stuff can get the equipment they need and it fits them. And it doesn't just sit in our storage facility and go bad or, you know, cause they get new stuff all the time. Like every season's like new equipment they get. So we do, I do every sport, baseball, softball, soccer, tennis, um, and I'll drive anywhere. I've, I've donated thousands of my own dollars to buy kids stuff like basketballs and You'd be shocked at how much need there is out there. I mean, and there's so much stuff that people just have in their garage. And um, so I, I just, I don't want children to be priced out of sports. Like, it's not fair. Like, your ability should be all you need and you shouldn't have to struggle. Like, you shouldn't have to be stuck inside because you don't have a bat or a ball. And, and if I can defray costs so parents can afford the league fees by not having to pay for, you know, new cleats or a bat or, a, you know, catching gear... I'm all for that. Teams have so much leftover stuff and it's just a matter of having someone, you know, take it off their hands. And I'm more than happy to do that. Like anything within driving distance, I'll pay for the gas. I'm in the car. I'm trying to get around as much as I can. This pandemic has kind of put a crimp on that for a while, but you can bet once we come out of it, there's going to be a lot, even more need because a lot of these families took a big hit and their kids are going to need sports more than ever because it's going to be an outlet for them. So I'm once to, once I'm able to, I'll be there as much as I can to get them the needed equipment. It's basically just sports did so much for my life. And I really don't want to see kids go without just because, you know, they're not from a, you know, an elite family or they can't afford stuff. Um, so, yeah, so we've, you know, like I said, every sport, you know, about 900 kids now I'm hoping to get, you know, even more. But yeah. It's, 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 it's really, truly just, I love it. I get more out of it, I think, than the programs do. Even if I have to drive like 500 miles to deliver three things, I'll do it. Like I'm, I'm, I'll be in the car. I'll do it because those three kids, they could turn out to be the next, you know, who knows? I mean, they, this stuff could help them get like into college. It could help them stay out of trouble, stay away from drugs, stay, you know, get healthy. Like that's for me, that's totally worth it. Like I, I'll drive anywhere to help a kid do that. So, um, so yeah, that's where it came from. It's been I saw, I saw the uh, the disparity and I saw how much went 
unused and that other people would, would be, it would be a lifeline to them. And I thought there needs to be someone that can kind of coordinate this and, and I'll do it. So I left my job and kind of been freelancing and uh, put all my mission into that. So it's been good. I don't regret it at all. I mean, I think what resonates with me a lot is the inclusion piece. You know, often when people think about inclusion, you talk about gender, ethnicity, and creed, all of those things. But another key component is socioeconomic status. And as a first-generation college athlete, I really appreciate things like this. And it's one of those things, too, where, you know, greatness or success doesn't come from everywhere, but it can come from anywhere. Right. So it's like, why don't we just empower everyone? Like, like you said, let's remove barriers, like removing barriers, I feel like is always a productive and fulfilling thing to do. And that's what you're doing, which I love. Yeah, exactly. I just sports is there's so many benefits beyond just, you know, I mean, there's just health benefits, there's, you know, self confidence, there's self esteem, there's camaraderie. I mean, and it's, it's awesome for breaking barriers. Like I had teammates that were all races, all economic status, and no one cared. If you were part of a team, you were part of a team. And I just feel like it, it, it helps the people that are quote unquote better off. And it also helps the people that aren't because they can see like they can get a perspective and get out of their own little bubble. Like, oh, wow. Like there's kids that, are, that don't even have, you know, stuff. They're just as good as me when it comes to being on a field or being in a gym. So it's really good to kind of break down those barriers within a team too. Um, and you know, I, I, like I said that, you know, a lot of colleges have been great. Like I obviously live in Tennessee, you live in Knoxville. So like the University of Tennessee program has donated so much equipment. They've helped like two to 300 girls, like in this area, just with their leftover stuff that they literally had nowhere to take. She's like, take it. Like I have nowhere to, you know, I can't get rid of it. Um, and the same with the, you know, a lot of the programs. And, and I, like I said, I buy kids new balls. Like I try to do a ball drop off where I buy a new basketball and go into impoverished areas and just see a kid on the street and be like, Hey, here's a new ball. And you would think you would give them like a million dollars. They're so stoked just to get like a new basketball. So I try to raise money for that too. Um, people that donate can tell me where they want their donation to go. And I've located kids in that area that are really in need and bought whatever equipment they need through that person's donation. So you can really like, hey, like say you wanted to help like a kid in, you know, your hometown. Like, so you say, hey, here's a hundred bucks, find a kid, find what they need. And then I tell you who it is. I show you a photo. So you feel like a connection, like, you know, who you helped. And it can be very like, it can be like very specific. Like you can tell me like, I want someone in this area of the country to benefit with this money. And I make sure to do it. I'm very intentional about it. Um, and, and it's really helped. I mean, the kids just are, it, some of them never, ever get new stuff. So that's why I really try to do the new things too, because some kids have never had anything new in their life. And uh, I think every kid should experience that. So between the use and the new, it's, uh, it's good. And, and, you know, I know that times are tough now and, and I encourage people to give to stuff that's more immediate, like feeding these kids. But when there is a time and if you have a little extra money, I mean, and you want to help a kid, you know, achieve something through sports, like we're here and I'm more than happy, like I said, to, to do it and to find a place that really means a lot to that particular person. And if any colleges out here are watching this and they, they have stuff they want to donate, I'll do the work. You just have to have the stuff. I'll make sure to do the work. So it's really nothing. Just tell me where it is. And, and I've had so many programs that are really stepped up in that sense and want to help their community. And this is an easy, really an easy way to do it. And a lot of players that once they're done playing, they're just like, here's my extra stuff. And, you know, kids don't have the time to 
do that much as much community work as you would think. This is an easy way to kind of help your community without really having to do put it invest tons of time because I know their time is very uh, they don't have much of it when you're a student athlete. I know you said when you're covering stories like from a journalist perspective you love the local stuff, like the local newspapers and the local stories. And I feel like what's cool about the colleges being so involved with that is that they're able to do that too with their local community, but in their own way, um, which, which is great. But so I know that we can go to goodsforgreatness.org to see more info, but what's the best way for everyone to help or get started? You know, you can find them on Twitter at Facebook, Goods for Greatness. Um, if they want to donate, like you said, goodsforgreatness.org, there's a donate financially you can donate. You can reach out to me. I mean, like I said, I'll respond. I'm, I'm very hands-on with this. Like, I'll respond. You can tweet at our podkey. Um, if you have extra stuff, if you know of a program that needs things. I'm also, if, you, if you're a program that needs things, I want to know who needs stuff, and I'll try to make a match somehow, too. Um, so those are the best ways, just through social media, through the website. If, like, if you have, if you want to donate money, you want to donate goods. Um, I'll do my best to make it happen. So that's just the best way you, any way you can reach out to me, rpodki at yahoo.com. That's my you know email address. There's goodsforgreatness at gmail.com. Um, any way you can literally reach out to me. And even if you have to go through you to get to me, just do it. Cause uh, I, like I said, I want to help as many kids as we can. And it's, it's not very hard to do it. Maybe the next softball star will be someone we've helped with this stuff. And maybe they never would have been that star without getting something, you know, we want to increase participation to different, you know, genders, ethnicities, everything in every sport. So, um, you know, let's help. I mean, softball community is a giving community. So I know people here that are, you know, watching, um, and softball's got a lot of gear. So there's a lot of stuff to give. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to call probably my parents after this and ask them how much I still have lying around at their house just from all these years, you know, and you're removing barriers and now you're removing all the excuses for us too, because you've given us multiple ways to get in touch with you to do this. So I love it. Yeah. And I'm, like I said, I love, I love corresponding with people. So feel free to reach out anytime. I mean, any of those means and hopefully somehow they can find me. It's, it's not too hard. I'm out there. From all of your experience, you know, over 20 years as a journalist in sports, a nonprofit founder, all of it. What do you feel like the biggest thing that you've learned? is about yourself about the world about anything what's the biggest thing that pops out at you my biggest it's just helping other people like I don't know I mean I that sounds like I don't know if I've learned that through my job but just as an overall human being and doing like you said through both it's just really being compassionate and being you know kind to people I just learned that that's you know it's that's the best way to go about things don't take anything for granted too that's probably a really big lesson like Stuff that we think can be there all the time isn't going to be there all the time. And I learned that through my issues with my health. Um, I've learned that with stories. I've learned that with games. We see it right now, obviously. Um, Just don't take things for granted and be nice to people. I just, I get so irritated. Like, there's no reason we can't treat each other with respect. And like I said, that's kind of incorporated all aspects of my life. Like, even journalism. Like, I, you know, even if you have to write a hard story, you can treat the person with respect when you do it. Um, there's no, I don't need to intentionally try to belittle someone or make them look stupid. So I'm just big on kindness. I think we've gotten so angry and so polarizing that I just, I mean, you don't always have to agree, but like you can do it with dignity and you can do it with respect, being very grateful and being kind and, uh, just thinking about others more. I mean, that's, that's really, that can, like I said, that can, that filters in all aspects of my life and something that I really take, uh, I take seriously and, and I just, 
I wish, uh, I wish we could get to that point. I think, you know, there's pockets of it, but I don't think there's enough of it. And I hope that we can, uh, we can do that because I think you can still, you know, do your job. And, and like I said, not, not agree on everything, but if you do it with respect and kindness while you're doing it and, and try to see the good in people until they give you a reason, obviously not to, uh, I just, I just want to help people. And I want other people to at least, and it, like I said, it, it's just being nice to people. I mean, that's, you can help people by just being nice to people. It doesn't take millions of dollars. It's just saying hi, asking how they are. Um, so that's, yeah, I think that's probably, that's a truth through all my life. Anything I do. Yeah. I think words to live by. I mean, to me, what stuck out a lot from our conversation is your why and wanting to help people and the how and being nice, honestly. And those are things that matter, not only what we're doing, but why we're doing it and how we're doing it. So I like it. It's taken a while. At first you're really just focused on like, you know, everyone like competitive getting ahead and everything. And then you realize like, that doesn't fill you up. Like it takes you so far and I'm just, you're going to be competitive, but um, I think you can do it and still like, you know, do it with the, with compassion. And, you know, there can, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be a be all end all. It doesn't have to, everyone has to like be better than everyone else. I mean, you can be better than everyone else, but still be respectful about it. Cause I mean, obviously we cover sports as a competition, but uh, there's things more important in life than just winning all the time. So, I um, mean, you can learn lessons, more lessons from losing and failing than anything else. So, learn from failing because you're going to fail a lot and it's how you respond to it um i'm still learning about that every day absolutely i'm with you there <laughs> well i want to wrap up with one little game called safer out um i'll basically i'll bring one topic up that's related to softball and you tell me safe if you like it and out if you don't like it or you're not it's not your favorite yeah okay so uh traditional format for a post-game press conference safer out out really why because i hate mass media things because if you want to get a good story why the hell would you ask the question in front of 17 other journalists <laughs> like so your story like you don't get a story because like you can't ask anything you really want to know because like everyone gets the same answer i know it's a, it's it's a needed necessity i understand it's practicality but as a journalist like I hate conference calls. I hate like the Zoom with like 19 other people on it. I never ask the question I really want to know because I don't want other people to steal my story. So that's why. Honestly, I totally agree with you. And I had a feeling because your stories are always more like intimate and they get deeper into the, into the story. So I had a feeling that you would say that. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Like I said, I get why they're needed. But like if I had my druthers, like I would just get like the coaches and players one-on-one -on -one every time I talk to players and coaches. So I try to like find ways around it after the press conference if I can. <laughs> yeah, out, definitely out. But like I said, I understand it, but I'd rather not have to do it. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Rhiannon. This is awesome. Like, it's just been great to catch up with you, learn more about your career, your outlook, your nonprofit. Like, this has been awesome. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for giving me. I'm usually on the upside of this, so I love it. I mean, I'm glad you, uh, you thought highly enough to bring me on. So uh, it's been fun. I mean, like I said, it's fun for me to see players that I covered in high school go on to be such, you know, doing such great things in life. So, uh, well, maybe time for another story pretty soon here. I might have to, you're, you're getting so big. I might have to do a big time story for the Ventura County Star again if there's, you know, at some point. That was my secret plan this whole time. That was really what I was trying to get at. No. <laughs> no it was an honor. I really, again, I really appreciate it. And uh, anything to try to, to help to, you know, get more softball stories told. And, and I appreciate you bringing up my nonprofit. You didn't have to, and it means a lot to me. So thank you for adding that aspect of it as well. Absolutely. It's important. 100%.
Really cool to get a catch up with Rhiannon. And now let's switch gears into the double play tip of the week. This week's tip is about base running. And we'll talk about the physical and mental side as usual. So physically, it's really about going full speed and being strategic in how you touch the bag. So for example, if you're running through first base, you want to hit the front of the bag with your foot, not the middle, not the back, because that's the closest part of the base. So it'd be the quickest that you'd be able to touch the bag. You also want to make sure that you're running full speed all the way through. So almost imagine that the base is maybe a few extra feet past the bag. So you just keep going. Now, if you're running to second base or taking extra bases in general, you want to hit the front inside corner of the bag on the left to push off towards the next base. And you take a slight angle as you're going into the bag, not like an exaggerated question mark, like a lot of coaches tell you when you're really young but a tight curve to position yourself to turn at the 90 degree angle. And of course, also run full speed in this case, meaning don't slow down to hit the bag, just keep going right through it. Then on the mental side, it's really about having an aggressive two base mentality. So when you are running through first on something hit in the infield, let's say, when you hit the base, look over your right shoulder to see if there was an overthrow. Because if so, you can actually read that right away and take off towards second base without hesitation or even breaking stride. Now, if you're already running to second on something hit in the outfield, whether you hit it or you were on first base when your teammate hit it, doesn't matter. When you're about halfway between first and second, look at your third base coach. They might send you to take third, but if you hesitate just for a second because you didn't pick up your coach, you could miss the chance to advance another 60 feet. Now, sometimes if the ball's hit on the left side of the field, you can actually even read it yourself and judge based on your speed if you can take more bases. The key really in general is just no hesitation. So that's the physical and mental side of basic base running. Go full speed and have a two-base mentality. That's the double play tip of the week. You've been listening to Believe in Softball, available everywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Believe.com subscribe please rate and review i want to see more of what you guys think i've seen some it's great keep them coming share the podcast reach me on twitter as usual at jennabacera01 and on instagram at jennabacera thanks for tuning in catch you soon for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.